Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this um, church gathering. Uh, for this time that we have to worship you and to learn from your word. I pray that you'd bless this time and that you would soften our hearts to uh, your Holy Spirit and that we could know you better and that you could change the way that we see the world and live our lives. We also pray for everyone affected by the fires, especially the Wynn family, and pray that you would be near to them in this time of loss and grief and pray that you would uh, just soften our hearts too reach out and to be there for those who are hurting. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, be- before I begin uh, our time in the Word this morning, I just want to do a couple of announcements just uh, for us to be thinking through. Um, we all know that um, fires have been raging um, the last week or so. And if something were to happen while we're here on a Sunday morning, I just want to let you know what we would do, all right? We would ask um, two people, Dermot, if you don't know, Dermot's right here, raise his hand, Dermot, and then Gary Wanacott's a few rows back, if you just wave your hand. What would happen is I'd ask those two gentlemen to go to that back lot, and we would have everyone leave from the back lot first, and then people here would leave, okay? So we would just all stay here. People that are parked back there, we'd say, please get in your vehicle, need to go. Um, You know, it's highly unlikely that that would happen, but um, the weather conditions are, uh, you know, forecasted for these kind of dry kind of conditions, even for the next week or so, last time I checked. So, um, just um, our hearts go out to so many people whose lives have been uh, affected by this. And so, um, you've probably heard in the news too, there was a fire just up the street from here, and the firemen... Um, just worked so well and quickly together and got it out. So um, we just want to be thoughtful of that and help out in any way we can. Second thing really quickly is that, again, there will be a large container put on the back lot, and it will be there for six days. And so that's um, a time for whenever your work schedule allows or your life schedule allows that we can all chip in and uh, try to keep the property clean and free from as much um, leaves and branches as we possibly can. And then we'll come in and, um, and dispose of it all. So if you want to help with that in any way, there will be a team uh, tomorrow that, are, that are, will be here working. So if you want to chip in on Monday, your schedule allows for that, great. If it's another, another day, that's fine as well. Okay. If you have your Bible, I just invite you to, to join me. And we are looking at the beginning chapters of Luke. And Luke begins with the story of Mary 
and the angel Gabriel comes and visits her. And last week we looked at the faith that Mary had. And when we read this story, one of the things that stands out is that Mary is recognized as a woman who has faith. That she believes in the message that has been told to her. And we recognized three things last week about her faith. Number one, we said it was a contemplative faith that she thought through the message that the angel said to her. Number two, it was a question-asking faith. And the question was, how can this be? And it is worth it for us to think for just a moment about our own lives, your own life, and you think about the things that are in your life, the things that, um, that you want to grow in, and we ask this question, how can it be? How, how can I live out the Christian life? Maybe my heart is filled with fear, or maybe there's loneliness, or maybe there's bitterness in our hearts, and we say, how, how can I do this Christian life when my heart is filled with these things besides Christ? And the message is the same that was given to Mary, with God all things are possible. That whatever is going on in your life right now, all things are possible. That God can change your life and give you hope and give you peace. The third thing we said about her faith was that it was a submissive faith. And she said, God, whatever your word says, I will obey. I will follow you. I will do what you say because of what you have spoken to me. This morning, and we'll we'll finish up this Um, short series on Mary's faith, and we will look and see how it is a faith that worshipped. And um, Mary, again, she is a um, teenager, and she begins this journey. If you have your Bible, um, we will look in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She sings this song. She writes this song about her relationship to the living God. And so the context is that in chapter 38 it says this, And Mary said, Behold, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. So Mary leaves her home and she goes, we don't know exactly where it is, but she goes on a walk that is approximately 80 to 100 miles long, three to four days journey. And she's walking and she's going to go visit a relative and her name is Elizabeth. And she greets Elizabeth and the verse that starts this expression of worship in Mary is verse 45 and it says this, this is Elizabeth, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary is blessed because of her faith. And this faith leads to an expression of worship. And we'll say three things this morning about this faith that worships God, that believes in God, that believes what he says is true. And I think I have just three things that we'll look at quickly this morning. Number one is that Mary's faith magnified God. We'll look at that. Number two was a desire to know the true nature of God. And number three, understanding that God's will, that God will reverse how things work in this world. Okay, so number one is this, that a worshiping faith magnifies God. Literally, it's the idea that we make God big in our life. 
one of the things that's that is interesting, and I'm beginning in verse 46 and 47, verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And one of the things that's interesting about this, and this is this takes the form of Hebrew poetry. And in Hebrew, port, Hebrew poetry, there is what is called a parallelism. So she says the same thing, and she, she repeats herself using different words to make this strong point that she wants all of who she is to worship God, that she wants to make God big, that she wants to make God an important part of her life, the most important part. And it's not the idea that Mary is going to make God bigger. It's that she sees God in a new way. It made me think about this, and I haven't done this in a long time, uh, and so I did it again this week, and I, I looked up snowflakes. Now, snowflakes don't change in size. I think we have a picture of it here. But when you change your view, and I know we probably all did this in fourth grade or third grade or whatever it was, and you kind of ooh and ah, but I still did when I looked at it this week. It changes our perspective. When something is made bigger, when something is changed, it changes our view, it changes our understanding. And what Mary is saying is this, is that it's not about changing who God is, it's changing my understanding of who God is. That my whole life is to be about worshiping God. That's what Mary is desiring here in her life. And so it leads us to this question, what kind of worshipers does God want from us? And if you have your Bible, turn, let me just show you what Jesus says about this. This is John chapter 4, and Jesus answers this question. What kind of people does Jesus want? What kind of worshipers does Jesus want? Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23, but an hour is coming... And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And the word here is spirit. is not a capital S like the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of humans, of people, of who we are. So Jesus is saying that Mary's faith is an example because Mary wants to worship God with all of her heart, with all of who she is. David says something very similar in Psalms 108 when he says that with all of my soul, with all of who I am, I want to worship God. And Mary does that in two distinct ways. Number one, with her lips, she writes this song, she speaks about God, she sings praises to God, she sings songs to God, but also with her lifestyle. So to worship with spirit and truth is that when we do gather together on Sunday mornings and we sing songs like we, we did this morning, we're magnifying God. We're making God great in our life. We're making Him the center of our lives. What's interesting, though, is that there are times when that this is lived out, this, it doesn't feel quite right. Because when God is at the center of your life, it might lead you to do something that might have people look at you in a weird way. And the best example of that is in Matthew chapter 26. Just turn a few pages back. 
if you want to understand what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth, to worship God with all of who you are, with your being, it's possible that the Spirit would lead you to do something. And Jesus gives this example. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, and it says this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head and reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why the waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. And that's what true worship does. It does beautiful things for the Lord. Even at the risk of being viewed poorly by others. And what's interesting is this, that the people who are closest to Jesus look at her with indignance. They look down upon her. And Jesus lifts her up as an example of true worship, of a person who wants to magnify God in their lives. And so the question we ask ourselves, are we more preoccupied with what people think about us than making God great in our lives and magnifying God in our lives? That is number one. Number two is this, is that worshiping a worshiping faith desires to know the true nature of God. And one of the things that, and I've said this before, that when you study the Bible, you want to look for things that are repeated. And the theme of this song that Mary writes is God himself. And you'll notice that Mary begins and she says, magnify the Lord, Uh, my spirit rejoices in God. But then after that, the pronoun for God is the word he. And it's repeated over and over and over and over and over again. Every verse, Mary brings us back to God. And what does she say about the true nature of God? What is God truly like? Verse 48 says this, For God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That God knows everything about each of us here this morning. Whatever you are facing this morning, whatever great joyful thing, whatever sad thing, whatever lonely thing, whatever feelings you have, God knows. Mary writes this, that God is looking. That God is looking and he cares about people. Goes on and says this, verse 49, for God is mighty. So he is looking and he's seeing and he cares about people. Verse 49 says that God is mighty and he has done great things for me exactly what was told to Mary earlier when she asked the angel how in the world can virgins get pregnant and the angel says with God all things are possible when we think of things that are impossible in our lives this mighty meaningful significant change in the li- in our lives that we need God is capable of doing that Mary recognizes that God is capable to meet her needs. Then Mary says this, that God is holy, that his name is holy, that we should view God as separate and big and transcending of all things, that that is his nature, 
that he cannot sin, that he cannot tolerate the darkness and sin. And then verse 50 says this, that he is merciful. So we are getting a picture of what God is really like. Verse 50 says that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so Mary paints a picture for us of what God is really like. And Mary wants that to be magnified in her life. She wants that understanding to be a part of who she is. Number three is this, that a worshiping faith, excuse me, last point, number three, a worshiping faith understands that God will reverse how the things work in this world. And this is a fascinating part of the song that she writes. And one of the things that we notice from um, beginning in verse 51 is that she changes the tense. This is where grammar means something when we study the Bible. That she changes the tense. And she begins speaking in the past tense. She begins this prophetic word, but speaks it in the past tense. And she does that because she is so certain that what she is saying is true and will happen. She is 100% certain that the things that she is speaking will happen. And this is the great reversal. So there are three reversals that happen here. Number one found in verse 51 is a moral reversal. So let me say this one last, let me say this again just for clarity. That a worshiping faith understands that God will reverse how things work in the world. So how things are working right now. I I deliberately decided to not talk about current news events because we just know how ugly and dark and I I don't even know if we can say shock. I don't even know if we can use the word shocking any longer. But what gives you a foundation and a hope regardless of the political situation is this, is that God will reverse the way things work now. And look what Mary says. Remember, this is a young Hebrew girl from a nowhere town who writes these words. And she says this, verse 51, He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God will scatter the proud. God will scatter the arrogant. God will scatter those who have a wrong view of self, an overinflated view of self, an overinflated ego. God says that he will scatter the proud of, of those people. God will scatter the people who think they are more important than they really are. Mary is saying this, when we look at this in context, that if our souls do not desire to know the true nature of God, if our souls do not desire to magnify God in our lives, then our lives will fill up with self, with self-centeredness, with ego, with pride, with a misunderstanding of what life is about. Let me give you, there are so many examples in the Bible. Let me give you maybe one of the best examples of where God will scatter the pride. So, 
Um, one of my hopes is that we will better understand God's Word and love God's Word. And so that's why I'm trying to give you a few examples of, of places in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, let me show you an example of where God has scattered the proud. This is from um, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. And this is the Old Testament prophet Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar is king. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 28. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. Babylon, I'll stop there. Before this, Daniel warns him. Daniel gives him a warning to the proud. Here's the warning. A couple of verses back. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That's the warning that Daniel gives to the king. Show mercy to the oppressed. Verse 30, was, what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Sorry, there's a fly flying around here. Verse 30, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? There cannot get anyone more boastful, more self-centered, more arrogant, more self-righteous than Nebuchadnezzar. Look how great I am. Do we hear such things today? Look how great I am. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. And I'm going to skip down a few verses. And God scatters. He scatters Nebuchadnezzar. And look what happens. Verse, at the end, uh, Verse 33, he was driven from among men. So King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 33, he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew long, eagle's feathers, nails were like bird's claws. So he just, now here's the thing, he goes crazy, he goes mentally crazy. And you've probably heard this before, but I've kind of forgotten about this. There's actually, I wrote it down, a disease on... Um, Pharmacy.com or wherever I was, some medical journal. It's called boanthropy. Boanthropy, where things just go haywire in your life and you do crazy things. And that's what most historians believe happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Self-righteous, proud, and his life is unstable. It is worth it to ask this question. If your life is unstable, is it because of pride is in your life? Is it because you put yourself at the center of everything? Is that leading towards your instability of your life? Of this hidden pride? Look what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34, At the end of this time, Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. He repents of his self-righteousness, of his arrogance. And he says, I... I blessed the Most High and praised and honor Him who lives forever. 
arrogant, self-righteous, boastful people, God will scatter you. It will lead to instability. The prophecy that Mary speaks about is spoken in the past tense, but knowing in the future that it will happen. And when we look at this in context and we recall who Mary is, this humble girl from nowhere that God chooses to use. So number one is a moral reversal. Let me give you just, this is just throughout the Bible. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, He will exalt you. There will be a great moral reversal The world is ruled and led by prideful, arrogant people. Mary prophesies and says that there will be a time when these people, the arrogant, self-righteous, will be scattered. Number two, then, of these great reversals is there will be a social reversal. Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary is saying this, that the gospel changes everything. That the kings will be brought low. The arrogant, the self-righteous people who are in positions of leadership will be brought low. Guess who is the greatest example maybe in the Bible of this? Nebuchadnezzar's son. Like father, like son. All right, so just for a second, we're going back to Daniel and we're going to look at his son. That's King Belshazzar. Daniel chapter 5, and I'll summarize it. But King Belshazzar, chapter 5, verse 1, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the household of the, of the thousand. So I'm going to skip the details. But this is just, um, how do I say this tactfully? Lots of alcohol and lots of things happening that are reserved for (laughs) the private places. Uh, Maybe to say a party like sex, drugs, rock and roll, orgy, all that kind of stuff. All right, so that's what's happening. King Belshazzar, just full-on Hollywood party, getting after it. All right, and then to top it off, here's here's what he does. He takes the vessels from the temple from Jerusalem that they captured a long time ago. He's got the gold vessels and it's like full of those, full of wine and beer, whatever they have. And we're going to party with those too. And so this king, King Belshazzar, is mocking everything about God until chapter 5, verse 5, this is the, the, felt, the well-known story where the hand writes on the wall. The invisible hand writes on the wall. And maybe 
One of the most colorful, this is uh, one of the best verses, and I don't have it here, but in the King James Version, it's great. But here's what it says in the English Standard Version. Verse 6, when the party's going down, at the height of the party, verse, chapter 5, verse 6, then the king's color changed because the handwriting was on the wall. He goes pale. His, look, his thoughts alarmed him, going back to mental health, mental state, of the arrogant, self-righteous king. And then it says, his arms gave way, and literally, his knees are knocking. And then it says, David, excuse me, Daniel says a few verses later, Belshazzar, have, you have not humbled your heart, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. At the end of chapter 5, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And so there are example after example after example after example of prideful people who fall. And we can look at it, we could give um, a history lesson here over and over and over and over again. When I used to teach 8th grade American history, I remember showing my students uh, a, a, a famous photo of Adolf Hitler standing in front of the Eiffel Tower at this prideful time of a man who believed he conquered Europe. And it was a short time later that he ends his life underground because the prideful man will always fall. And so... This gives us a way to live as followers of Christ that regardless of what is happening in the world we live in today, there will be a reversal. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, God will scatter the proud. One last place I'll ask you to turn. It's the book of Philippians. And I want to show this just in contrast so we understand the Christmas message of this, think about the story for a moment. Unknown girl, unknown town, married to a carpenter, walks around, the baby Jesus is born in a cave, put in a feeding trough. Do you see? We have to understand the context, that there's a message in all of that. That the gospel goes to the humble. And the proud don't receive it. That's why when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he says this, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's talking about Christ now. Who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a baby born in a feeding trough, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that is the name above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But it's only the poor in spirit. It's only the humble that can receive that. The last reversal that Mary talks about in Luke chapter 1 is a spiritual material reversal. Verse 53 says this, And he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. The reversal here is that we become preoccupied with the material things, and the spiritual things become secondary. We think about this even as parents and raising kids and what kind of church we want to create. How much attention we give naturally by ourselves to the material things and we don't put as much focus on the spiritual things. And Mary is speaking to us saying that there needs to be a reversal. That the material things are good and beautiful and we should enjoy those things but those things should never be the priority. The priority is always your spiritual life. The spiritual lives of people you love, of your spouse, of your children, of our church community. That there will be a great reversal. Mary has a prophetic word where she is speaking this song, this prophetic song to give encouragement, to help us understand what life is truly about. This morning before church when we were praying, um, we were talking about what are we trying to accomplish here this morning? What, what are we trying to accomplish? And the answer is this. We are trying to accomplish a celebration. And what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the truth that we're deeply flawed people and in desperate need, that we all need a Savior, and that God left his place with God the Father and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth in the form of a baby. The most vulnerable person alive is a baby who lived and died and rose again. And so we are here to celebrate. We gather to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive today, right now. That He died on the cross for our sins. That there had to be a way of reckoning a time of wrecking, and he took that upon himself. And that regardless of the things you have done, forgiveness is here. And we gathered to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive. And so that should be our mark. That Christmas should be a time of joy. And I know it can be a time of isolation and loneliness, but we need to come and understand and live our lives the right way and celebrating that Jesus Christ is alive and we have hope and joy regardless of the circumstances you face. God is mighty. God sees you. God gives you mercy to celebrate and enjoy this time together. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude in worship, I pray that we would celebrate, that we would make you great in our lives, that we would magnify you because of who you are and we would know that you will reverse the broken things of this world. Father, I pray that you would protect our hearts against any discouragement because of 
the broken things of this world, knowing that you will reverse things. You will turn things around because your son Jesus rose from the grave. We can celebrate life. We can have joy. We can have joy eternal because you are alive today. Father, I pray that as we finish up this morning, we would leave here encouraged and we would sing joyfully with hearts and lips that are filled with your presence. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.